Sometimes in a language there are, are uh, cases, uh, masculine, feminine, a dative and ablative and all the other things. I, I'm not sure that even these words are in the right uh, uh, ending, but we've also put the English in there, discerning the apocalypse. That's what we're trying to uh, say. On the uh, first page, we've given the definition of these words, anacrino, or, and, and its various forms, which you can check out in your uh, concordances, means basically to ask question or discern or examine or judge or search and again we hope that's what we can do with the uh, uh, book of Revelation apocalypsis is a word meaning appearing coming manifestation or revelation and any of those words seem to fit the uh, the subject matter of this book we're looking for the appearing of certain things or the coming of certain things the manifestation of certain things, the revelation. The revelation, is, as we will get into, is, is a term uh, that is not confined to the last book of the Bible. God's revelation is given in 66 books that he has chosen uh, to reveal himself in. Also, unraveling or unveiling, or that the, I guess this uh, denouement, if that is the denouement, uh, is the French pronunciation of this word, which means sort of, a, as I understand it, a climax of a play or, or some uh, uh, work that we might be working on or writing. So in, in God's writing, uh, a denouement is the climax or the culmination of his plan and purpose. And again, I think most of us who have a working acquaintance with the apocalypse recognize that, uh, that that's an appropriate word. Uh, a kin word is anagisco or gisco, uh, which means to read or one who gathers exact knowledge. And that seems to become more and more uh, needful in these days when we have had uh, alternative views of the apocalypse uh, set forth. Uh, so it's, it's worth our note to say when I look at the apocalypse I want to look at this thing and, and get it exactly right if we can use that term uh, or, or get the knowledge concerned with it in such a, a way that it is uh, appropriate makes sense and uh, consistent with the rest of the word the inside front cover of the of the book uh, we'll spend a little time on today which we've tried to write uh, on the basic, the underlying principles. I think if if we can get no more than this out of the book, I think we've got a good start. And we recognize that there are probably people here who haven't looked at this subject before. Uh, my feeling is you've got to start sometime, somewhere, and you're not too young at any age, uh, certainly any adult age. Uh, my experience is when the uh, Bible school was, was held here. That's when the stage was wood and the outside here was dirt and the seats were uh, canvas. Uh, the Revelation class always met over in this corner when the classrooms were along the side of the building there. And uh, I really don't remember. I might have been 21 or 2. Uh, and after visiting other classes at other Bible schools, 
uh, I decided I'd take a, a shot at the Revelation class. And I, I'm, I was realistic enough to know I didn't know anything about it. But I says, I'd like to learn. And uh, I, inwardly, probably I was embarrassed because I went through the class and with all deference to Brother Jennings who was leading the class, I, I, I got very little out of it because I, I just wasn't, uh, uh, I didn't have the necessary something. But with one effort, you follow with a second or a third or a fourth and uh, things become clearer, not only in this study, but any study. So uh, I would recommend, and, and this book that I compile, I, I have some apologies, uh, about 60% of it is nothing more than the index to Eureka, which you can go to the uh, Eureka volumes and get the same thing, only this is under one cover. Uh, the reason I did that, I, I probably started out with a wrong premise, but uh, I'm trying to encourage people to take an interest, more of an interest in Eureka than maybe they have in the past. I left a little margin there for making notes, which we're not going to get in very much into this 60% this of the booklet. But it is interesting, hopefully, if, if you're interested, if you're reading through the book of Revelation and you come to a, a, a phrase in one verse which says, an open door, or I looked and saw, or I ascended, uh, many times those separate fractions or portions of a verse are covered over here. You might use this as a scan and say, well, I'm interested in the uh, key to the house of David. And it will tell us over here that in, in this involves a certain volume and a certain page number. The study of Eureka, which, is, which enlarges the uh, normal King James Version of the Bible, is... Uh, is a multitude of subjects in itself. And uh, those who uh, are, are a little bit withdrawn about tackling the book because of its complexity or its length uh, may do so by, by taking any one of these little short subject uh, things and uh, I believe helping themselves in, in a variety of ways. So that's basically the purpose of that what I call 60%. The first four or five pages are my notes, which I'm going to work on this week. And they, they make eight or ten points that, that we bring up about each chapter. Uh, some of them will, of necessity, be very brief on and may even skip over them if time uh, gets away from us. Page six is some relative dates in the events of the 6,000 year span of the kingdom of men. So if we, if we accept and start with the 4004 uh, BC creation date, we've worked down there chronologically to a year which I've jotted in as 1997 as the end of the 6,000 years. This page and the succeeding pages uh, which is the back inside cover and the back outside cover, have dates on them. If you, uh, you won't find probably from, from my discussion that I'm going to vary much from them, but if you think that, uh, for instance, on the back side, if the dates of the seventh seal, if the second seal is 183 to 212, instead of the 180 to 211 that I have there, just scratch it out and put in your date if you have uh, 
uh, not just wild thought, but if you have some evidence that, that these dates are wrong, and, and they are, in many cases, approximates. Uh, I believe it's a safe uh, uh, principle in the study of Revelation, as we've, as we've all experienced, when we, that, that we're talking of approximates, a 1260-year period from uh, the decree of Justinian, uh, in many instances, whether Eureka or other studies, will say 529 to 533. Well, he sat in his uh, authority during that period of time. Now, his decree may have been made exactly in uh, the August or some month of uh, 533, but stretching the, the uh, 1260 out, we would measure that up to 1793, which is one of the years involved in the French Revolution. The French Revolution started in 1789 and as we know in wars they're, they're not over the next day. The World, World War I started in 1914 and generally by our history books and experiences it ended in 1918. So there's a four-year war and, and when we're trying to say something happened during this period uh, in many cases we have to be approximate. But there, there are other things which I think assure us of the divine authority of this book and that is in some cases these things are to the very day and maybe even hour and minute uh, which we cannot tell not having the information but in the uh, one of the dates we'll, we'll work on here uh, we'll probably uh, lend substance to that thought the back inside cover uh, we should have written if you want to write in there and I, I, I think you ought to mess your books up as much as you want to, probably on the top side of that cover we should have put that those numbers and, and diagram is, is from Eureka. That's Dr. Thomas's uh, analysis of the uh, 7,000 year aeon of sin and death. Uh, that drawing was first done in 1858 or 59 when he was editing Herald of the Kingdom and uh, maybe even before that, I'm not sure of the exact date, because Eureka uh, was first started in 1859, and this was in the very first volume, I think page 90 some odd. I, I'll give it to you as we go along. Uh, so that was his thinking in about 1859. Of course, the whole span of Eureka uh, goes over about nine years uh, of his time. So, so events were happening. He was in a very uh, dramatic time of world events, and uh, whether his mind changed much on these dates that he's got here, uh, my, my observation is that they did not greatly change. The middle portion of that page is dates that we've taken from W.H. Carter's Times and Seasons, which is a little gray book here that some of you have. I don't think it's available today. By the way, that book is, uh, lies flat very well, as you can see and you can Xerox it and sometimes instead of paying ten dollars for a book I don't know how many pages this got uh, about three hundred pages uh, if you got a Xerox of your own and nickel a page you can you can copy it probably as cheap as you can buy the book agreed it's not as easy to handle but it's a nice book this is a chronological book as I understand it and it's not so much an exposition of revelation uh, the, the pages, I think it's page 7 here in this pamphlet, 7 and 8 are again merely an index 
to the apocalypse epitomized, which again several of us have and I believe is still available. And uh, is a book I would highly recommend. Eureka, all, all Christadelphian writers from, uh, from the inception of Christadelphianism have uh, owe their uh, uh, background and the truth to Brother Thomas. And uh, whether we're talking to Brother Andrew or Brother Roberts, Brother Williams, or any of the writers that have written these books, Brother Mansfield, uh, Brother uh, Bolton has written a book on it, uh, Percy Bilton, uh, and they all acknowledge that their information primarily with, with uh, minor exceptions are, are rather identical with those of Brother Thomas. So his work has, has stood the test of time and uh, I can't tell you to accept everything in there because I do. Uh, you've got to read it and scan it and study it and uh, gain the benefit that's to be gained because there is wonderful benefits from that. The little paragraph I put in on eight and nine is just an excerpt from Eureka that I copied out uh, really to, to just fill up the space uh, in volume uh, 2B I believe it is uh, in the, uh, from the tenth chapter of some of the activity of the rainbow angel which is uh, to me uh, one of the most interesting uh, chapters. The back, back page gives us the historical timing from 96 AD which was the date of the writing down again to the year we've used 1997. One reason, or probably the only reason, there's nothing in the Bible of course that tells us uh, that 4004 BC was the creation date or, or that 1997 is the ending date. But we have inferences in the Bible, a very strong inference I feel, that the creation uh, uh, week is uh, typical of seven single days of a thousand years each. So if we're near the end of this six thousand years and we can take our 4004 and come down to 1997 uh, subtracting one from the change from 1 BC to 1 AD we get six thousand years and my feeling is that at that point we're, we will see the beginning of the millennial day. Uh, one other note, uh, uh, the last of those four items on the back page, the dates of the seven thunders, we know that they are also called seven last plagues, seven judgments, but all of these items which we put down as 1992 to 1997 uh, are the work of Christ and the saints when he returns and we're just suggesting here that during that period of time the necessary events will take place that will uh, eliminate the uh, ruling systems of the world and will establish the kingdom of God. 1992 is not picked as a date because it's a couple of years off and any prophet is, is probably correct for the time being as long as he picks a future date. I can say Christ is coming next month next year, two years from now, three years from now, and I'm not wrong until that date comes and passes. Uh, but 1992 seems to be the best date to fit the uh, uh, numbers given in the 12th chapter of Daniel of the 1260, the 1290, and the 1335. 
Uh, we don't plan to touch on Daniel very much, although it's, it's, it, it is a preliminary, as most of us recognize, to an understanding and, and uh, complement of the book of Revelation. Uh, but those three dates, uh, brethren in the past have been anxious, as we are, for the Lord to come, not for us to be uh, all that prophetic and saying we know the date, that's not going to do us any good anyway. But uh, one in particular I recall was they felt that the 12, Brother Thomas by the way felt that the 1260 ended with the French Revolution and that the 1290 ended in 1820 uh, which was the start of the uh, sixth vial and that 70, uh, 45 years later which would be the 1335 the kingdom would come about 1864 to 68 so those were his three uh, solutions to the 1260, 1290, and 1335. Later brethren uh, were impressed by the uh, Zionist Congress in 1897 and began measuring off time and felt therefore that the 1290 would did something, or his, uh, the temporal power of the Pope might have been restored somewhat in 1929, but, but it seems rather difficult to, to pinpoint that period of time as being uh, that dramatic, and of course we know that if we measure 45 years on from there, we would come to 1972, and a lot of brethren felt in, in the 60s that, that probably 1972 would appear to be a good date for the uh, Lord to return or for the kingdom to be established. That date, of course, has come and gone and is not correct. Uh, uh, if we're wrong, we, we're not original at all with this, but uh, we've heard brethren for, for several years suggest that the 1260, 1290, and 1335 would, uh, might fall on these dates because the 1917 is one of the most significant dates in uh, prophetic uh, times and 30 years from that, which would be the 1290, would, would uh, terminate in 1947-48, the establishment of the State of Israel, which is a very dramatic and noteworthy event. And if we measure on our, our other 45 years, we get 1992. All right, that's our opening remarks. Brother Gerald told me he had confidence that I was going to handle this, he says, when the... Uh, little hand is on nine and the big hand is on ten, I better get it wound up here. Uh, let's look at the inside front cover. Th these are, and we, we recognize, and our, our, don't, don't anybody get worried, but uh, we're not going to get probably very far into the first chapter. I believe the first chapter is the most uh, pregnant of all the uh, chapters in the Apocalypse. Maybe that's the divine way of opening this thing to us and saying in, in a short sentence this is a very important thing for us to consider. But before I get into telling you, the deity will say, of, of the uh, historic events that are going to unfold and they're going to eventuate in the kingdom of God, let's make sure we sort of get our feet on the ground. And I think the first chapter does that very well. First thing we'd like to say which we, we may, have, may should have said before now, if there are uh, 
what is a I use the term neo-Christadelphian. What would you think I meant? New, right. So if there are any neo-Christadelphians uh, or non-Christadelphians in the audience here uh, or people who have just maybe opened the book of Revelation for the first time to a serious study, uh, when we mention Eureka or Brother Thomas, we recognize that, that he, like us, is a human person who has looked into the scriptures and to the best of his ability tried to glean from them uh, truth. And uh, we would like to say, you're going to endorse Brother Thomas if you will read Eureka because Brother Thomas is not saying, I've got some philosophies that I, I have invented here and I want you to... Uh, uh, adopt them and to put me on a pedestal and, and build a statue to me and say I'm a great man. Uh, probably it would take a long time to go through this book and count the number of scriptures that he supports the things that he says. Now there's not a scripture that says Napoleon is going to come along or that Constantine is going to come along but there are scriptures that give these things in type. And when we refer to him, we, we recognize that we're not here like a Christian scientist saying that Mary Baker Eddy is our champion or that the Methodists are going to say that John uh, Wesley is our champion or, or one of these men of the past who's Russellites with the Jehovah's Witnesses and things like this. Uh, people have called Christadelphian Thomasites because I suppose in a derogatory way they're saying, well, you just follow some man. You've picked a champion and and he's, uh, he's a good one to follow. And, and you're being led around by the nose. This is not the case. And we would like to say that he supports everything he says by Scripture. There are cases in, in Eureka where very candidly and honestly he says, I am not sure of this. And it's, it's not clearly uh, discernible. At least it wasn't to him, and it probably isn't to us. Uh, we have had the advantage of living a hundred years beyond his time, and uh, certain historical events have happened that, that uh, may have altered somewhat uh, forecasts or predictions. Uh, things have happened that have also solidified and uh, assured us that the historical uh, tracing that he has done uh, is an accurate one and it's leading to the, to the goal that we're all looking for. So God's word is first. We're not talking of, of Brother Mansfield, Brother Thomas, Brother somebody else. Uh, but our, our, our chief reference in our presentation is Eureka. We have no apologies for that. Also, uh, as Christadelphians, we're, uh, we're critical in two ways. And uh, one of them is good. Uh, one is if I get up here and, and or any other brother and uh, say something that's wrong, you've got a right to criticize me. And uh, it hopefully it will help me. Uh, the other kind of criticism, uh, probably like, like uh, I guess the psychologists would tell us, really are to make us look better and somebody else look worse. Uh, I'm sure everybody probably in this audience, uh, some brother will give a talk. Well, how did you like the talk? 
well, it is all right, but, but he said, you know, one thing, you know, uh, and they judged this 60-minute presentation on one phrase, one comma, one sentence, and, and what they're really saying is, they should say, in my opinion, that was a wonderful talk, you know. Uh, any brother is human, he's going to make a little variation here and there. Now, if he gets up and says there's three gods, or that the soul is immortal, somebody's got to stand up and say, look, brother, you're on the wrong track. That's, that's constructive criticism, and we're not trying to say uh, to anybody uh, that, that we shouldn't have that kind of criticism. And Christadelphians are basically talking to an intelligent audience. We recognize that. We're not talking to people that, that never opened their Bible. And uh, many of you know more about this than I do. And I'm not saying I'm trying to immunize myself from, from any criticism. But I hope that not just this class, any of the classes we have, or any of the lectures, that we can uh, constructively focus our minds on trying to draw some good from what goes on. Uh, my experience has been, that in many cases, where we say, well, we analyze every brother's talk. What did he say, and, and how, how effective and how good was it? I have found that, that minds, our minds vary. That what one uh, enjoys uh, tremendously, another person might be semi-skeptical or something about. I try not to, to say, somebody says to me, how did you like to talk? I try not to say anything negative, even though I might have a couple of reservations, because this other person has enjoyed that talk, and they've got a lot of good from it, and I can destroy or tear down uh, their appreciation. So I hope that, uh, that we can have an attitude uh, and, and recognizing to some extent that we're dealing with a subject that, that has some variable thoughts and, and we're not presenting everything we do here with uh, that it's, it's etched in uh, stone and, and can't be changed. So let's have a good attitude and get good from our classes and our talks and our associations. I'm going to read the first paragraph of this inside cover. Some of the foundational principles to be considered in the study of the book of Revelation are preferably the apocalypse. And the reason that's preferable is because, as we've said, Revelation is a, a matter of 66 books in the Bible. So it's not the only uh, revelatory book. But the Revelation, or as the uh, printers of the Bible have uh, muddied it up considerable when they say the Revelation of St. John the Divine, is not our study. We're studying the apocalypse or the unveiling or the appearing or manifestation that God has in store to culminate his purpose. In Revelation 1.3, Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand, will appreciate immeasurably the value of this divine prophecy, which, when fulfilled, consummates the gospel plan of salvation. It never departs from the elements of the gospel preached by Christ. Now, now many of your expositors in the uh, world of Christendom don't recognize these things. It's, it's totally consistent with Christ's teaching and, and the gospel, as well as the Old Testament prophets, namely the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. It is much more than a prophecy of future events. It repeatedly concerns itself with individual faith and perseverance for the excellence of character 
required of those who expect uh, to uh, please the Almighty and participate in the glory that will be manifested in the Yahweh name when it is fully developed. Now I, I've written here that these principles are not exhaustive. You, you may think of some things, and if you do, I, I don't have objection to a slight uh, interruption. If you want to uh, raise your hand, you think of something I've omitted here that, that's rather important that the class should have, uh, I, I can accept that. But those that are, are participate, I think I've said this earlier, are encouraged to make note where the space permits and uh, mark their books up uh, in any way that they think will help them. We've listed six things here, uh, and, I, and I sort of recognize that, that that's just what came to my mind as I was working on this. Uh, I, I sort of feel I've got, out of those six, I've got the main thrust uh, of the apocalypse. Uh, and, I, and I think perhaps a lot of times we don't all see alike and we may miss the uh, theory. In fact, I think particularly the elementary student when they uh, use the word prophecy, they, they immediately jump. They say, well, that's Revelation, and that tells us the date that the Lord's coming. That's about it. Uh, much more, much more. Of all, it's all, it's the destruction of the Roman system, which we're going to mention in here, is very germane. My feeling is that that's the acid test of Eureka. It identifies the beast, our Roman system, it tells us it's been in power for so many hundreds of years, and that the purpose of Christ is to give victory to the, with and to the Ecclesia over this system that has usurped God's power and authority for hundreds of years and God's allowing this to go on for a testing period for saints of all ages that they're not to be sucked in to this kind of thinking that they're to stand apart with the truth and to receive the uh, benefits that are listed. Uh, but first, the first principle, these are not necessarily again in any order but I, I sort of feel this first one is the, uh, is the crux, our primary principle in Revelation, and that is the manifestation of the Yahweh name. First, in the individual Christ, and afterwards, in the corporate or multitudinous Christ body of faithful saints of all ages. When was the Yahweh name uh, first mentioned or brought to light in the Bible? I didn't hear you. Moses' time. Well, who was the uh, divine instrument by which the first five books of the Bible were written? Moses. Was Moses there when, when Adam was created? How could he write about Adam? Inspiration. How, how many years did he live after Adam? Well, well, okay, I'm not sure. Uh, probably tells us on page, what is it, page 6? We may have, that's the, the flood year was 2347 B.C. That's 1656 years after Adam, so it was a few years after that. So, so a couple of thousand. Uh, Abraham's time was nearly 2,000 from, from Adam, or from creation. And uh, so way down the line, uh, we have the... Uh, inspiration that God gave to Moses to say we want to record these events I'm going to tell you what happened and you write it down in so many words uh, and so he writes in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth Moses knew this or was given this by inspiration 
even though men for 2,000 years had lived recognizing that the Creator was alive and working and that a plan was developing involving uh, Adam, Noah, and other ancient worthies. They knew, in my mind, of the kingdom of God. And we don't have evidence to that effect. But it is, is difficult for me to receive that in one-third of God's time involving his, uh, his creation and His plan of salvation, that He would keep men in darkness or ignorance as to what was going on. Now, that doesn't mean that they knew Nebuchadnezzar was coming along in a few years or that, that uh, the exact date of Christ's birth, but they knew from the incidents in Eden that uh, a lamb had been sacrificed that, that portrayed something. I believe there's a great deal of, of angelic visitation and education that went on before men had the writing uh, of the... Uh, the divine inspired word uh, and today since we have the word we have an absence of angelic visitation or Holy Spirit necessity and therefore our entire confidence and trust is on the word we're, we're not going to say well I, I'm expecting an angel uh, a few days from now and he's going to set me straight on some of these doctrines or some of these issues uh, it, it is in the word and when God closed that book he said man has got enough that I, I've given him all he needs for salvation. I've given him, him the uh, tools whereby his faith can be developed and strengthened. And he will know and have hope in what is coming to pass. And again, we repeat, it's not entirely in the book of the Apocalypse. It's throughout the Bible. And our faith should constantly revert or turn back uh, to this uh, source for our uh, information. I'll read the rest of these or, or, or go through them a little bit and uh, then I want to go back to this uh, first point. A principle in the study of the Apocalypse, number two, is the establishment of the literal kingdom of God on the earth under an Israelitish constitution fulfilling the promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as well as the covenant with David that a king would proceed out of thy bowels and establish such kingdom. Now that is what we call simple gospel narrative or declaration. Christadelphians have not basically had problems. I, I would say from the very inception, once, once this thing was uh, uh, established in the uh, 1840s, that God's kingdom was not going to be in heaven or anywhere else other than on this earth and under an Israelitish constitution once that was established we haven't had uh, in our history any problems with it that I, that I know of nobody said well you know you've got it wrong on the, on the kingdom being on earth uh, so the constituents uh, constituent parts of this kingdom which are a king, a capital city uh, uh, here I am stuttering on the six points. King, a capital city, land, territory, uh, kings, co-rulers, laws, subjects. Uh, we're all agreed. And, and thankfully, uh, we don't have any uh, inner fightings among ourselves or, or with others on these points. But the things concerning the name of Jesus Christ has been the bugaboo in the Christadelphian body because of its complexity. It is a complex subject. 
And if you said to me, well now you just tell me in three minutes what are the things concerning the name of Jesus Christ, I couldn't do it. I believe, as probably most of you believe, that we understand the nature of Christ, the efficacy of his sacrifice, his uh, role in God's plan of redemption, uh, but it has so many deeper and uh, relevant points that sometimes we get into these, we get into clean flesh that Christ only offered for others and, and he was uh, clean enough or, or uh, exempt enough somehow that he didn't need this or that his baptism was, was for some other reason or that uh, a lot of other things. So uh, really I guess we could say the, in, in our understanding the book of the apocalypse doesn't straighten us out. On the, on the complexities of the sacrifice of Christ or the nature of the things concerning his name but uh, we can say that the kingdom will not be established unless the relevancy of Christ in that kingdom more than just a political ruler but saving people out of all generations is very very vital and a principle that we want to say I'm looking for the return of Christ to establish the kingdom and as we've said in point one to bring into to being the uh, manifestation of this group whether it's Noah or you and I or somebody else uh, to rule and reign a thousand years number three uh, we see in the apocalypse the final and complete destruction of the universal church which is the apostate system whose blasphemies and misrepresentations are enumerated plainly in this book, particularly in chapters 17, 18, and 19. Uh, an accurate theme of the Apocalypse is Rome versus Zion, or we, number four, phrased another way, the theme is the victory of the Ecclesia over the Church. It's not particularly embarrassing, uh, because I think it's needful. Uh, first day I arrived up here I, I heard at least three people say something about I went to church or I've been going to church or I've something church, 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 you know. Uh, we don't I don't go to church, you may go. Uh, I go to the ecclesia. I go to the meeting place with the brethren. And the church, if you will read not only you read uh, Bullinger's account or our brother Thomas or a half a dozen others, the word church is, is a corrupt word. And there's plenty of churches in the world. And in fact, we said either in point two or three here, the essence or principle of the book of Revelation is to tell us the church is going to be destroyed. The ecclesia is going to stand. So get rid of that word out of your vocabularies. Only if we're going to talk about the apostate system should we say, I'm associated with the church. Unfortunately, it's been translated, I forget how many times the word church is used in the New Testament. It's in the 20s, I think, 25 or 30. And it's always translated, maybe with one exception, from the word ecclesia. E-K-K-L-E-S-I-A. So to transfer that over from the Greek to the English, we just say ecclesia, which means invited or called out ones. So the gospel invites us. It says, are you interested? And our reply is yes, we're interested in leaving the church and coming to the Ecclesia. Now, we don't always leave the Catholic Church or the Presbyterian Church or whatever. Our background may vary. Maybe we've been raised with, with no particular religious training at all. But, but we still discard 
or disavow any connection with the church and our association and our ambitions and hope is with the ecclesia. Number five is the gradual development of time and history, which as we go through here, we, and as you can look on some of our dates, we're going to progress from the time of Christ or from the time of the last book of the Bible, which would be 96 A.D. roughly, up until our current day or the very few days that lie ahead of us in which the Lord will return and establish the kingdom. So we're looking for a gradual development, unraveling of historic events in the annals of man's history uh, which can be verified by our history books and by other things and this certification assures us of the credibility and reality that God does have a plan and that it is evident and progressive and alive in the earth today. These other theories that have been proposed about uh, the futurist and the preterist uh, are false. They destroy uh, Bible teaching. I, I, I'm not totally satisfied. I've heard, I had people probably this week ask, is that a matter of, of doctrinal significance in which somebody should be disfellowshipped? Uh, I would say probably, if I had to give a quick answer, it would depend on the, the nature of their agitation. But if there was somebody who kept agitating that the apocalypse had already been fulfilled, 90% of it, uh, not only on, are they on the wrong track, but it very well may be that they don't understand the kingdom of God and the things concerning the name of Jesus Christ. It, this, this would have to be, I guess, an arbitrary, uh, determinable matter. Uh, the other philosophy that, that the revelation has not been fulfilled at all, no, uh, no historic significance, no, no Constantine, no Napoleon, no French Revolution, uh, and that once Christ comes, packed, packed into a, is it a three and a half year period, all of these things that have been enumerated in Revelation are going to suddenly pop loose and, and happen. Another very false theory. The, uh, the chairman of the Williamsburg Foundation, uh, somebody in his presence, he has, he's asked the question, uh, sarcastically, I guess we could say that's maybe not the best word. What on earth has the French Revolution got to do with Revelation? Well, big head must be on ten. You you answer the question. Now I'd say everybody. I hope everybody in here can say it's got a whole lot to do. In other words, take it out, and you've nearly destroyed the book. I basically have finished that first page and we'll start on the other chapter tomorrow.